Tim Keller is a pastor in our denomination. He's well-known. He's a New York Times best-selling author. And I saw an interview with him from a few years ago. He's currently struggling with pancreatic cancer, but years back he actually had thyroid cancer. And the result of that cancer is that he was sidelined from ministry for a number of weeks. So he had been in ministry for decades and decades, and this was a a real disruption to his routine. And in this interview, he said, if you ask me, was I certain about the resurrection of Jesus? Is this something I knew? I would say, absolutely. Uh, I'm absolutely certain about it. I have no doubts about it. It's what I've, I've given my life over to. I've been preaching and proclaiming this now for decades. But he said that during this time, I assume that he got radioactive iodine, and when you do that, you can't hug people because your thyroid's radioactive. You can't. So he was sort of sequestered. And during that time, he read an 800-page academic book on the resurrection, even though he was already certain. This was a historical analysis done by an Oxford professor who um, was looking at history during the first century, and his, his point was there's no other way to account for the origins of the Christian church apart from Jesus being literally, physically raised from the dead. So this was not a devotional book or anything. It was an academic book. He read this through over a few weeks and said he closed the book and put it down, and he was surprised to find that suddenly he found himself saying, wow, this is really true. He's really alive. This is really true. He's really alive. This is a person who already said he would have been certain before this, but because of his circumstances being set aside because of his cancer, God used that book and he said, my certainty of the resurrection of Jesus went down three floors deeper towards the basement of my heart. And he said, these were floors that I didn't even know were there, but my certainty grew in that way. And today, as we approach the Scriptures on this Easter Sunday, I have this prayer both for you and for me that the Holy Spirit would meet with us in a similar way. You can't control that. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. But we just pray and sit ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, maybe you already believe this. Maybe you would already say that you're certain. Then you can say, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, will you drive it deeper into my heart and life? Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you really don't know Christ. You haven't been walking with Him. Then you can say, Lord, if it's true, will you begin this process of certainty for me? May I believe? And so... We come then to this text that is about the resurrection, and what we want to see in it is that you and I can grow in a certain present knowledge of resurrection hope. You and I can grow in a certain present knowledge of resurrection hope. So as we come to this text, I just want to set the scene. Jesus was crucified on Friday. And he was buried before sundown because of uh, Sabbaths and Passovers and things. Hastily, 
by Joseph of Arimathea. There were ladies who had followed him from Galilee to Jerusalem when he was going to be crucified, and they were watching the whole crucifixion. And then when he was taken by Joseph of Arimathea, his body wrapped and then placed in a tomb, they followed to see where he had been placed. Then the Jewish Sabbath is from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, and they rested on the Sabbath. That's what the text just before our text says. And then early in the morning, on Sunday morning, this day that we're commemorating, the first day of the week, they went to bring spices to finish the burial customs of Jewish people for Jesus. And that's where our text we come to today. So this is on page 11 in your worship guide, and we're going to read this in chunks and take a look at it. Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Just to comment here that they made large wheel-like stones that were rolled like a wheel over in front of the tomb. And it would take leverage and strength to get that rolled back out of the way. But they find that the stone has already been rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now they had seen Joseph and others place him there. And now his body is gone. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now this uh, word for dazzling is normally the adjective that is applied to lightning. So you have to think about a very close, big lightning flash and how bright that is. These are the garments of these two men, which we take to be from other Gospels, angelic visitors, all dressed in shining white. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, so this is such a striking thing, and this is what usually happens when angels show up, is that people bow down with their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And we're going to hone in on this question that the angels ask these ladies. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, the first answer to this on a very narrow focus would be they're simply telling them Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is a tomb. This is where we put dead people. Don't look for him here. He's alive. That would be sort of a narrow, literal look at this. But when you step back and put this question in the broader scope of Scripture, it opens up to you, I believe, the entirety of history. What do I mean by that? They're saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? I think I said that backwards a minute ago now that I hear it. But why are you looking for the living among the dead? And when you think about this in terms of the Bible, what you see is that God made everything good. There was no sin. There was no death. And he said to Adam and Eve, don't eat from the fruit of this tree in the middle of the garden. And we, along with them, have rebelled and eaten that fruit. And he said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. 
And so the rest of history from the time that Adam and Eve became spiritually dead and subject to physical death is the era or epoch of death over millennia and millennia. I don't know how long it was, but everything that happened had upon it the smell of death and dying. This is a decaying world. Romans 8 says that the whole creation has been groaning, waiting for something different. It was the reign of death. And every celebration, every joy, everything that's good about creation is tainted with the knowledge of the curse of death upon all of creation. Until, until this mystery that was kept hidden for long ages past that we're celebrating today came to pass. That it was the reign of death. You realize even people in the Old Testament, Lazarus, those people who were raised to life were going to die anyway. The only one who came to life from the dead who now lives forever is Jesus, the Son of God. And that's why He's called the firstborn from among the dead. He went to a cross. He bore the curse that came to Adam and Eve and us, the curse of death, as an atonement for sins. He was buried, and now He has been raised to life. And what that inaugurates is a whole new history. It is the era, the epoch, not of death, but of a new creation and resurrection life. So you can literally define history into those two parts. And if you want to make it a little more elaborate, you can say creation, fall, the epoch of death, the era of the resurrection and the gathering of God's people in the final consummation where there'll be no more sin or death. Jesus began that history on the Easter morning that we're celebrating today. So when these angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You have to put it in that context. Now, lest you think I'm stretching things, I just want to point out to you that in the Gospels, uh, there were people coming and, and hearing Jesus teach and seeing his miracles. And there was actually a teacher of the law who said, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. And then another person followed right up on that and said, Lord, I want to follow you. But first, let me go and bury my father. And what was Jesus' response to him? It seems kind of tough to us, doesn't it? But it's telling you what we're saying in this text. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you come and follow me. Do you hear that invitation today? Do you hear that invitation today? To turn away from trying to find life in the things that are trapped in this epoch of death and to turn to the risen and exalted Son of God who's been raised from the dead to give you new and eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the crediting of righteousness, Adoption as a son or daughter of God simply by receiving what Christ has done. Simply by saying, Jesus, I entrust myself to you. I turn away from the land of the dead. I turn towards you to find life. That's the invitation today. And a prominent author has said very well, 
We don't believe, we listen to this really carefully, we don't believe because we say we believe. And we don't believe in even when we believe that we believe. We believe when with our whole being, we act as if the thing we believe is really true. Now you understand there are degrees of that and we don't want to put anybody under condemnation. This is what happened to Tim Keller, right? He believed for a long time. But God grew faith in him so that his whole being was engaged with the resurrection life of Christ. That's what we're after. So to give you an idea of what I mean by that, I would invite you to go with me someday, even though I have a bad back now. I don't know if I can make it. Someday we'll go, maybe all of us will take a field trip up to Mount Mitchell in North Carolina. And you get off at Mount Mitchell and head due north over the second couple of peaks uh, that are the highest next to Mount Mitchell in the eastern United States. And where you're headed is a place called Deep Gap, and it's a wonderful place to hike and camp. Now, when you do that, you, you got to take your 35, 40-pound pack. I don't know if you've ever walked around with a 35 or 40 pound pack and climbed on rocks, but it's very easy to tip over backwards. You got to, you got to have your stuff together to be ready so that you don't get your center of gravity over and fall over backwards. Well, on that hike, there's a place, it's only about 15 or 20 feet long, where the trail comes out on the side of a rock face and there's a little ledge about a foot wide. And what you have to do to follow the trail in that place, and there's a long drop behind you, is you, you lean against the wall and go like this. And you think to yourself, Lord, don't let this pack topple me over here. Now see, let me ask you what happened to you when I tell you that story. I hope if you're imagining it, your adrenaline comes up, doesn't it? Right, your whole person has a fright. Why is that? Because you believe in gravity. Don't you? You believe in gravity. And that's what we're saying about growing in a certain present knowledge of resurrection hope is that it gets into your bones and into your system so that your thinking, your posture, your heart, your mind, your autonomic nervous system, your adrenaline or, or lack of adrenaline for those of you who are very anxious can be affected by the resurrection of the living Christ. So that's the invitation today. And when you take that invitation, it means a few things. It means as you lay hold of a personal living relationship with Christ by the Holy Spirit, you're saying, I'm not going to try to find my life in the things of this dying world. What might that look like? Well, I can talk to the students. Uh, I can talk to those of you who are, are working. Uh, you are aiming for an accomplishment. You want the plaque as the best employee. Uh, you want to, to score the highest on your exam. Well, it's a great thing in fellowship with the risen Christ to do your work with excellence, isn't it? But it's a very tricky thing to set your heart on awards. If I just get that commendation, life will feel really good to me. I'll have joy. I'll have peace. And you're saying, if you're walking in what I'm talking about, you're saying, no, Jesus, I, I'm going to do my work with excellence in fellowship with you. But the outcomes of that, I leave to you completely. So now you can just simply ask yourself, 
or you can watch and see what happens to your emotions when you don't get the accomplishment and acknowledgement that you were looking for. You're dejected. You're discouraged. You question God. All these things are pointing out various kinds of idolatries where you're looking for life in the, still in the epic of the dead. The approval of others works the same way. That it's a good thing to have a good reputation with outsiders. In fact, it's a qualification for being an elder to have a good reputation with outsiders. There's nothing wrong with that. But if, I have to have, if you have to have the approval of another person for your life to be fulfilled and meaningful, you've succumbed to idolatry. You're looking for life in the land of the dying. And you're, you're subject to, to the winds and waves of being tossed around by other people's opinions. And we could go on and just talk about this. Another, another really critical place is for those of you who are married or those of you who have children. If you say, if my spouse would only behave and act this way, if they would only love me this way, life would be good for me. You've made an idol out of the affection of your spouse. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong in fact, there's everything right about loving each other in a marriage relationship. There's everything bad about being a parasite to your spouse. And what's the alternative to that? The alternative is to say, Lord Jesus, you died for me. You rose for me. The Father loves me. You dwell in my heart by the Holy Spirit. I'm called a son or daughter of God. I don't have to have this. I can, I can feel empty in relationship to people and receive and be filled by your love and love people who I perceive aren't loving me back very well. And I would just, you know, this is, gets down to some of the roots of marriage problems, does it not? For those of you who've been married for a while. Is my love a quid pro quo I pay you in love for services rendered, or is it really love? And the, the resurrection of Christ speaks to these kinds of things. And the one other thing I, I just want to use as an application for this is that what do you do about suffering? We're claiming that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he has authority over the nations, that he has all power and authority. That's what he said. What does that mean when life has dealt you under God's sovereignty circumstances that you find intolerable? A chronic disease, broken relationships, pain and suffering in various ways. Well, if you're of a more charismatic bent, and I love my charismatic brothers and sisters, your understanding of things is Christ has been raised from the dead, let's fast and pray until he changes my circumstances. But I think if we're honest about that, if we're really honest about that, we're going to find that most of the time he doesn't change those circumstances. That's why those answers to prayer are called miracles. I don't want to discourage you from praying to the risen Christ and to the Father for the change you desire in your circumstances. But really, the power of the resurrection is most often seen when you walk with Him in fellowship, saying, Lord, You are my shepherd, I lack nothing. I have Your resurrection presence with me. I can bear the fruit 
of your spirit, love, joy, and peace, and patience, etc., in my circumstances. So that's just an invitation to those of you who are suffering and struggling in various ways to lean on the risen Christ. He really is alive. And the Holy Spirit really can pour the love of God into your hearts as you trust Him. This is a real thing. What happens in all that? You're growing. As you do this, you're growing in a sure and certain present knowledge of resurrection hope. And it weans you away from setting your affections on the things of this world and causes you to long and hunger for the full flowering of the new creation that Christ is going to bring at His return. A big banquet, large party, no more sin and suffering, no more crying and tears. That is where the people of God are headed. So that all came under, it was subsumed under this heading of why are you seeking the living among the dead? And we're saying, seek the living one, not among the, the, the death of this world, this present age. Then the second thing that we want to say is that you grow in this certainty, this present certainty of resurrection hope, as you remember His words. So look here in the middle of verse 6. It says, Remember how He told you while He was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. These angels tell these ladies, remember, remember, remember what He told you. And this is the difficult thing for us, is to remember. And what did the angels tell them to remember that Jesus had said? That He would be crucified for sinners and on the third day raised to life. And what you find is that this is the entire resurrection theme in the book of Luke. Later on in chapter 24, Jesus is going to come and physically meet with all these disciples. And He says, it had to be fulfilled about Me what was written in all the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That subsumes all the Old Testament. That it's all fulfilled in Christ. And then he, he sa- it says, He opened their minds open their remembrances, open their access to remembrances so that they could understand the Scriptures. And he says those Scriptures said that the Christ would suffer and be raised from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is what it's all about. And when you think about this, you have to think, What do you want? Do you want an angelic visitation in lightning white clothes? Well, the angels standing there in lightning white clothes are saying, this isn't the substance. It's in the Word. It's in the Scriptures. You have access to a more sure footing than an angelic visitation. And the call to you and to me is to believe and remember to believe and remember. I was thinking this week how difficult it is for us to remember these very simple truths at times in our lives. And it reminded me of the Chronicles of Narnia. 
So C.S. Lewis was an author in the last century who wrote a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And in those books, uh, he has a, a fantasy world, an imaginary world, a fictional world, where people from our space and go and visit Narnia. And in Narnia, there is a giant lion who speaks, and that lion is really a Christ figure. You're supposed to understand when you read those stories that he represents Jesus. And in one of those books, there's a young woman named Jill Pole. And Jill Pole and Eustace Scrub, her friend, are taken out of this world into the land of Narnia. They're separated under some difficult circumstances. And so then Aslan is addressing, Aslan the Christ figure is addressing this young woman, Jill Paul, for the first time. And he gives her an assignment. Her assignment, when she's joined back together with Eustace, they are going to go find Prince Rillian, who's the rightful heir to the, the throne of Narnia. And it's going to be a long and difficult journey. And that's their task. And he tells her at the very beginning, I'm giving you four instructions, four signs. And he, he tells her these signs that she has to remember, these words from Aslan. And they're going to direct, these words are going to direct them on a long and difficult journey to find Prince Rillian. And he makes her repeat them back to him. And clearly he's trying to get us to see the same thing that this text is saying. Remember the words of Aslan. Remember the words of Christ. They go off on their journey. They pick up a guy named Puddleglum who's going to become uh, important in the story. So it's Jill and Eustace and Puddleglum. And they're traveling along. And things get really different, difficult. They have scares and frights. They have to go underground and they're in the dark. In the, like in a dark cave for most of their journey. And they forget. They get in trouble. They forget. They have to call on Aslan along their journey. And then finally, they find Prince Rillian. And Prince Rillian has been under a spell from an evil witch for 10 years. And he has one hour a day when he remembers who he really is. The other times he's just under this spell. And in that one hour, he acts like he's raving mad because he's screaming at everybody to release him, that he's really a prince in Narnia and all these things that seem so outlandish to everyone. Well, they're there. And the fourth word that Aslan gave Jill was, whenever somebody tells you to do something in the name of Aslan, you've got to do it immediately. And so Rillian comes awake and the three of them are there. He, he pops out of his spell and he says, I adjure you in the name of Aslan to free me, to cut my bonds. And they began to debate with themselves. Is he crazy? Is he going to harm us? What will be the consequences of, these, uh, of freeing him, of cutting his, his ropes loose? And finally, Puddleglum, uh, who's a pessimistic kind of guy, saves the day, he says, listen, Aslan simply told us what to do, not what the outcomes would be. And they cut him loose, they remembered his words, and he was freed to be enthroned later as the king of Narnia. And so when you, when you think of this, the question is, in the difficulties of life, when things are really hard, Will you remember? Will you remember? It's very simple. The whole hub of the thing 
is this. The Father loves me. Christ bore my sins in his body on a tree. He was raised to life, and by believing in him, I'm now raised to life on the inside. I'm going to decay and die on the outside, but I'll never be more alive on the inside than I am at the moment that I believe. Eternal life, the era of eternal life has begun in me. And what difference does that make to you? Well, let's go back to marriages again. Um, or, yeah, let's, let's do marriage. Um, your wife doesn't affirm uh, all your manly sufficiency at some point. Maybe it's just an offhanded comment where she questions uh, whether you're able to do a certain thing. Maybe we should call plumber. I see the water pouring out. And you're just struck by that in the heart, right? Come on, men. You know, am I adequate? Am I capable of this? Now, are you gonna, how are you going to respond? With angry defensiveness? With curt sullenness? I like, I particularly am in favor of sullenness. <laughs> Nobody can officially accuse you of being angry because you didn't say anything. You just started to pout. You wives can turn this around however you want to, too, to make this application. So the question is, are you going to stop right then and there in that relationship and remember? Listen, my worth, my life doesn't come from gluing PVC pipe together. Let me be known as a poor plumber or whatever it is that you're trying to do, mechanic. Because the Father has loved me Jesus has died for me. My sins are all forgiven. And I have a perfect record of righteousness before God. His, his verdict is the verdict that matters in my life. And His verdict has been rendered for me in Christ. You're forgiven. You're perfectly righteous. You're my son. You're my daughter. So then you can, you can be filled the Scripture says that God pours His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's always right there when we're believing on Christ. And then you, 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 it enables you to love when you perceive yourself as not being loved. And I just want everybody to think about applying this in the areas of your life. The, the students, when, when you're getting bullied on whatever, Snapfish or chat or whatever... I, I borrowed that from Nick Saban. He said, "Snap." No, it was uh, Bill Belichick. Snapfish, or you know, TikTok, or whatever it is. You know, you're out there, you know, grubbing for somebody to affirm you, and looking for life in this dying land. And the only place of the only place of life and security is in resting and receiving in Christ as crucified and raised from the dead. And so, that's what believing looks like here. That's what remembering looks like. And I just want to add one other thing to that that's, that's absolutely critical in this whole thing is that if you're going to remember the positive aspects of what Jesus has done for you, if you really want to grow in a certainty of His resurrection life, you also have to remember that Jesus... Please listen to this. I'm talking to myself. I want to say, Chuck, please listen to this. 
Jesus gave us a template that you're going to know him better and really sometimes only in your own dying and rising. Right? He said, if anyone would follow me, he's got to take up his cross daily and come after me. Anyone who wants to save his life in this life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will find it or save it. And so if you want to grow in existential or heart um, understanding of the resurrection of Christ, you've got to be willing to say, Lord, I'm not going to do what I would normally do of myself right here in this very small detail moment that not everybody else knows about. I'm going to say, Jesus, live your resurrection life in me. And it hurts. And it's self-denial. And it's a habit that has to be cultivated. My wife is an extrovert. (laughs) And she really always, she'll tell me at 8 o'clock at night, let's go over and talk to our neighbor Bill. We haven't talked to him in two or three days. And I'm just like, and I hate to admit it, no. I've been talking to people all day or whatever the case is. No, we'll talk to our neighbor another time. Bill, if you're watching, I love you, man. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I'm just trying to give you a real life example of what this life. uh, It's like the Allstate commercial for sports right now. The guy with all the band-aids on him. Life comes at you fast, right? You don't know which way it's going to go. And so this, this call to die and rise with Christ comes in very sort of inopportune and sometimes very um, un, uh, unobvious, non-obvious moments in our lives. But if we're going to grow, it means holding up those situations to Christ and saying, Lord, uh, by the Holy Spirit, by your power, I'll die here and I'll walk with you. And really, I'm, I, this is uh, not on, on my authority, but the author J.I. Packer, great theologian, you can read all of his books. He says, those who advance in Christ-likeness, the, the key factor is whether you have learned the habit of turning all the moments of your day and all your opportunities to die and live over to Christ in prayer. I could go on, but I won't go on. Um, Here's the third thing we've said. Seek the living one. Remember his words. And the last thing that we want to to see in this passage is your certainty of the resurrection will grow as you talk about it, as you tell other people. Uh, Look at verse 9. It says, Returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Now let's just pause there. Mary Magdalene. Uh, she's probably on the lower end of the socioeconomic uh, scale. She, she had seven demons in her, and I, I assume that this gave her a fairly disordered life. And Jesus had driven seven demons out of her. And Joanna is the wife of Cusa, the manager of King Herod's household. So he's like uh, at the top of the socioeconomic spectrum, and this is his wife. And then Mary, we're not sure about. The Jameses probably are not the Jameses that you're thinking about. It might be James the Lesser. But the point is, there's a wide spectrum of people here. And it's it's those people and the other women, there's more women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. 
But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And this has been well said by many Christian authors over a long period of time, sort of repeating this, that the joy of something is really consummated in the telling of it. The the appreciation or experience of something is consummated in the telling of it. And so, uh, I don't know how many, don't raise your hands, I won't get us, Paul, but uh, a lot of people go to thrift stores, and I've found, I don't really go to thrift stores much, sometimes I'm dragged there, but I, I wouldn't go on my own. But people who go to thrift stores really like to get good deals on things, I think. And so it can be infectious to other people. So my, my wife uh, bought me a herringbone wool coat at a thrift store. And I was wearing it around here somewhere in the church some time ago. And somebody uh, said to me, wow, that's a really nice coat that you have on. Neither they nor I noticed the moth hole <laughs> from the thrift store. But that's okay. It was still a really good coat. And so I couldn't help myself, though. You know, I could have said at that time, thank you very much for your compliment about my coat and let it go, right? But you know what I did. Hey, you won't believe it. My wife got this coat for $4 at Goodwill. I mean, it's like a really expensive wool coat. And so you just can't help but sharing about the good deal that you got at the thrift store because it gives you joy and excitement. Well, that's, that's what I think happened here. These ladies have seen and heard and had validated by the Word of God that Jesus was alive from the dead, and they can't help but run and tell other people that He's alive. Now, I really don't want this to become at the very tail end of this message a kind of, let's guilt you to go out and do evangelism. Let's guilt you to go out and do things. What, what would be your response to this? This is my recommended response on this. My recommended response is that you bear down on the resurrection of Christ. That, you, that you, you, you have a sincere desire to have a conversational relationship with the risen Christ in all areas of your life. And then I'll pick up John White, uh, the former Arthur here, who said, The only thing that you have to do after that is simply be honest with people about what's going on with you, right? It's a commitment to honesty. How are you doing today? Well, I was pretty down this morning, but I talked to Jesus about it. He's alive and with me. And, uh, you know, I'm still not flying super high, but He's sharing my burdens and my griefs with me because He's been raised from the dead. It's a very simple thing. You're just being, you have a real resurrection life that's going on with you, and then you're committed to be honest with people about that resurrection life. So what we've seen today and what what we want to really say is, are you eager to have the certainty and the joy of the knowledge of the resurrection to go down three or four floors in your heart towards the basement? I am. I am. Well, it means that we would seek the risen one moment by moment through the day for his resurrection life. It means that we would remember the word and promise of his life and his call to us to die and live with him. If you die and live with him now, you know that when you die physically, you will live with him too. And then finally, that we could simply with honesty tell people what we have heard 
and seen. And just like with the apostles, it really doesn't matter what people's response is, does it? It really doesn't. If I tell you I got a new herringbone coat or whatever from the thrift store and and you don't care about that, it doesn't matter to me. I'm filled with joy about it. It's up to the Lord what He does with that testimony. So seek Him, remember, and tell. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank You for this time to be together on this Easter morning. Lord, right now, we pray together for, for the fiery power of Your Holy Spirit to fall upon us all. That You, Lord, would take the initiative to bring about new faith, new repentance, new knowledge of the risen Christ that fills us with joy and endurance. That we would have a certain resurrection hope today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.